0: I'm delighted today to welcome Professor Gerdes to the channel. Now, many of you will know him from his YouTube presence. He's become a strong voice within the pro-Ukraine community, uh, really trying to interpret and understand what's going on. And I think he's on a similar journey to myself, which is to try and not just learn more about Ukraine, but to deconstruct the Russian mindset. So I'm delighted to welcome him on, I've had the privilege of appearing on his channel, and I was really, really keen to uh, introduce him to those parts of the audience who may not be familiar with the work he does, and of course the prodigious output um, which you run uh, in 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 parallel to to a full day job, and that uh, mm-hmm. that's similar to what I do, and it's uh, it's not easy. So, Darren, welcome to the channel.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: Uh, Well, let's start on this journey, because this is not what you uh, originally, you know, you you have a long history of of outreaching to the public and doing sort of public communications. But your topic really was, I believe, sort of uh, leadership uh, prior to this. So why Ukraine? And why did you make this pivot to covering so much, uh, let's say, Ukraine-related content?
1: Yeah, so um, before the war began, I was just doing some YouTube videos about leadership topics. It was just things that I found interesting. It's a whole different channel. And I, I split off after the war because I just, when the war started, all I wanted to talk about was Ukraine. Um, so before the war started, I remember sitting in a cafeteria talking to my professor buddies and we're talking about yeah, Putin's not gonna invade. That's that's not gonna happen, right? I mean, many people have had that kind of story. And then when it hit, I was in an academic conference and. I, I, I saw this on TV, and I was, What just happened?' And I'm going to speak to the other professors there, like, did did you see what just happened? And we're trying to you know put our heads together and think, like, what happened? Okay. So as time goes on, I start thinking like, something needs to be done. I had in the first few weeks of the war, I, I heard Zelensky say, uh, the I need ammunition, not a ride. I heard that being reported, and I thought, Wow, who who's this guy? Oh, that's right, he's the other side, guy on the other side of the Trump thing. Okay, I, I knew who he was now, but I didn't have the background, so I researched Zelensky, put out an ebook in a matter of a few weeks, and then I updated it for the first few months, and then I was just tracking every day, and I was thinking like, Okay, three people are reading my my ebook. <laughs> How can I have more of an impact? And so by I guess it was early summer of 2022, I started doing YouTube videos. I switched completely over from doing the leadership thing to doing this. And I just, I'm like, I'm trying to help people understand context in the war in Ukraine. I want them to understand what's going on. Again, I'm a professor. This is this is what drives me. I'm not a journalist. I don't think anything like, that I don't put out there that I'm a journalist. I am trying to help people understand, engage in critical thinking, uh, use their mind to understand, well, if the Russians are saying this, why are they saying that? What What's the effect that they're trying to have? That sort of thing.
0: And from a leadership perspective, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because it's become apparent Over the last, I think, certainly six months, I mean, to those who are not completely partisan and slinging mud at each other, it has, however, become apparent that there is a dearth of leadership. And as a result, there's a dearth of a clear strategy with regards to Ukraine. And actually, there's a sort of strategy. But it is it is implied and it is a perhaps a it's a subtext that they dare not utter. So you have phrases such as as long as it takes, mm-hmm. but you have no how, you have no timeline, you actually have no goal stated. Because when you throw out these kind of sound bites, you it's almost an excuse to not do that. So when it comes to leadership, you have Ukraine, which is showing will, which is showing resilience, and is showing not just leadership in Zelensky, that that clearly is critical, but leadership at every level, economically, in the military, you have extraordinary people popping up and under the most extraordinary, terrible circumstances, life and death pressures, um, creating incredible things, organizations, technologies, techniques, could I ask you to compare that to what seems to be a dearth of clarity, willpower, and leadership uh, in the West?
1: Yeah, so uh, I started looking at Zelensky first. Over time, I realized, and it it hit me when I was talking to Starsky, because he he mentioned something about how Ukrainians, we just improve everything. and, And I realized, no, this is, I thought that Zelensky was an extraordinary figure then i realized no this is something in the ukrainian character in the way that they're going about prosecuting the war and there's something different here one of my viewers said uh russians are peasants ukrainians are cossacks and it's like oh i get it that's right there's something different like my don didn't just happen accidentally it could i don't think it would have happened in moscow what happened there just there's something different in the culture so i give the ukrainians a lot of credit there was a anonymous pentagon Uh, official who talked about how on a scale of one to 10, uh, the Ukrainians are a 12 at military technology, just trying to improve things and go way beyond. It's that kind of thing. Now, when you look at the West, what's going on here, well, let me preface, I'm a conservative Republican. I know people are gonna be like, oh no, no, I, I, I'm all behind Nikki Haley, who's full-throatedly supporting Ukraine. I, I'm trying to do my best. I have almost 1200 videos trying to help you understand what's going on in Ukraine. So with that being said, when it look when I'm talking about Biden, it looks partisan, it's really not. The only thing that I agree with Biden about is is helping Ukraine win the war. But I don't think he's done it fast enough. I don't think he's done enough for them. I think when the story of this war is written, after the fact, it'll be the story of how we were too late that that Putin has done a, a really good job of keeping us at bay and saying, don't cross this red line, don't cross that red line. And so I think that'll be the story on the other side. We we are saying we're in their corner, but we are not saying we are going to do this until we win. And we have never articulated until we win and we need to be doing that. So. I don't want it to look like a partisan thing, it's really not, it's just we need to do more for Ukraine and we're not stepping up. Now, my own party is part of the problem, right? I mean, let's let's be honest, it's Republicans that are slowing down the works and Republicans that are saying, are, are, are leveraging aid for Ukraine in order to get what they really want, which is the border being shorn up, H2, HB, HR2, um, those kind of things. Nevertheless, I- I'm saying they should be do- giving the aid for Ukraine, regardless of whatever else is going on. This is a higher order value to me, and that's why I've been supporting Ukraine.
0: And uh, of course, it's easier if you're in a partisan camp to say, "Ah, oh, well, you know." And, and this has been said many times. Well, Biden is just—he's too old. He's—he's—he he doesn't know what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. And that is—that um, is a criticism which 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 you can make you know, when you're in the political bubble. However, from, from my perspective, I think Biden, uh, you know, out, out of the glare of the spotlights when he's not, you know, tripping up physically or verbally, um, I think he's very much in command of the strategy that he wants to see. I don't think he is daft at all, but I do think he has inherited certain ideas and a certain mindset and a view that is decades old, and he is simply implementing that and implementing it rather effectively. The trouble is not him as an individual uh, who's passed his sell-by date, it's his ideas that are passed the sell-by date and the team, which is not demonstrating leadership. They're demonstrating the ability to be good managers, implementing a poor strategy. Uh, what what do you think of that uh, Yeah, that So I've
1: never attacked him. If you go back into my, my videos, you will never see me attacking him personally like that, saying he's too old, saying he's this, that, the other thing. I don't do that. I just don't get involved in that kind of thing. Um, but Putin has deterred Biden like let's get that straight that's been what's happened now biden has a fundamental to my mind a fundamental reaction to i don't want to cause them to be mad at me or whatever i i don't know if that's the right way of saying it but to doing that to putin doing that with what was going on in the middle east with the houthis and i mean um with palestine with yemen with all these things his his knee jerk reaction is going to be, let's not escalate. Now, that's not a bad strategy in most of life, but if you let it go too far, then someone like Putin is not going to see that as a good sign. Like you and I might see that as a good sign. Putin's gonna see that as weakness, And he'll just keep crossing whatever lines he needs to while saying you better not cross those lines. And that I think is where we are. I think that's a fair read of him. And again, I'm not saying anything mean or trying to be partisan. I I just see it that way.
0: And it's interesting you mentioned Putin in that context, because I had a recent interview which has really divided uh, the uh, audience quite a bit. But I found it kind of fascinating because the person uh, has worked in the Moscow Times. Uh, She has also done a lot of research into Russia's infiltration and invasion of uh, Donbass prior to 2014 and after 2014. Um, But she's also been in the room with Putin on numerous occasions and been able to kind of observe him, and um, you know her point was that you cannot know the mind of Putin. So watch by his actions. Don't try to sort of understand him uh, from you know what you see publicly. Um, but her point, I think, was actually fascinating that as we're not seeing leadership from the West, strong leadership that is divorced from some ideological framework or construct or methodology. They're not looking at the real context. They're dealing with you know, a set of ideas and assumptions that they've, they've built around themselves. To an extent, Putin is similar, except his are completely opposite to those of Biden. He is on a kind of infinite uh, escalation path. He will escalate and escalate and escalate until he finds a hard stop. And then he'll try to escalate in a different direction if he's you know, physically comes up against a barrier he's not going to go kind of absolutely head to head uh with with that and i think it's a failure to sort of understand that in itself though this can be seen i think is seen as leadership uh in many uh, le- around the world they look at this and they see this as strength whereas the point my speaker was making is that this also inherently is a lack of leadership it is a lack of uh any kind of vision it's simply the exertion of strength really without strategy in all directions to see where you can gain an advantage but that by no means is leadership at all and her argument is that actually the the invasion of uh, Ukraine is an inadvertent escalation that was almost inevitable. She doesn't use the word inevitable, but I, I interpret it as such that if he's gonna push in all directions aggressively and he's gonna then use proxies and outsourced mercenaries and assets and just sure. let them go and do their thing and to see what works, it's almost like a, an entrepreneurial um, attitude or an innovative attitude to extreme violence that will will inevitably end up in the kind of situation we are. But also it could, I would say, almost inevitably end up in a year's time in places that we cannot even imagine. So this idea of escalation management, completely the wrong strategy yep. to tackle it, Putin. It,
1: that's right, it's a failure of perspective. We aren't taking Putin's perspective, we're applying our own perspective over him. Like, what the way that we're approaching it is what we would do, and that makes sense to us, but the way that he's approaching, like, if you understand the Ruski mirror, right? And what the Ruski mirror actually is, it's this, you know, it is this God-ordained, the only country on earth that's worth saving and everyone else is evil in Putin's mind. Like, this is the way that he's thinking about it. Now, this is really fascinating to me too, because like evangelicals tend to hear Putin talk about um, traditional values, and it's on two entirely different bases. But yet they're they're not getting they're not understanding that it's on two t- entirely different bases. And they're like, oh yeah, he must be okay because they're they're hearing that when Kirill is talking about that we need to stop abortion because we need to in and the reason why is because not because as your average churchgoer in America saying, well no that baby has a right to live. That's different than when Kirill is talking about, we need to repopulate Russia, and by the way, we'll have more soldiers in about 20 years. Two totally different bases. When Putin is talking about, uh, you have to have, women should have six children, right? Uh, now, your average American evangelical is probably gonna be like, yeah, family's good, It's a it's a healthy value, you should have more kids, right? That's not what he means. He's talking like a And if you understand the distinction, you see it. So we're not getting the perspective difference. And when Putin is seen through a Biden-esque lens of, well, he wouldn't want to do this and I wouldn't want to do that, you're you're missing the point. Putin's going to keep going as far as Putin can go. And he'll go militarily, he'll go uh, um. Economically, he'll go in information space and he'll just layer one thing around on top of the other. And that, that's the Grasimov doctrine, right? That's the way he's gonna fight the war and he's going to keep coming until he is stopped. And so when I first started this, it was amazing to see the divide among conservatives particularly because half of my friends would say, uh, well, I don't want World War Three. neither do I. <laughs> like I, I'm trying to stop it here before it grows. No, 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 you can't get involved. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? You know he's going to keep going. Well, yeah, but, you know, it's not worth it. He has nukes and that kind of... But so we have this sharp divide, at least on in within my party. The, the left is largely... uh, major, very heavy majority is supporting Ukraine. And in the right, in the United States, there's a, a divide between the populists, again, this is perspective, and old guard Reagan conservatives like me that just think differently about it. So... At any rate, it's it's all a matter of not taking not being able to walk in the others' shoes, not being able to see that from their perspective of how they think about it and how they would react.
0: And do you think once uh, people are hooked? on the far emotive argument around values. Now, we know this is a false narrative because Russia has one of the highest force rates in the world, uh, has one of the highest abortion rates in the world as well, by the way, and Ukrainians repeat these stats, it doesn't seem to matter. But once you've hooked people, as you say, on the evangelical right, with these arguments that make sense to them, does that also then make it much easier to feed them more far more nonsensical views like uh, you know of course Zelensky has got a, a yacht and you know all the money we send him goes into palaces then they start sort of spinning stuff which on their own are completely absurd but you've created a foundation of commonality on very emotive arguments it, does does that help uh, you know does that open a door for the rest of russian propaganda
1: yeah, yeah, so it's fascinating the way that the propaganda works. So I'll read these articles every day. And and then I also, early on, started comparing what I see in Western press. A- around the time of Bucha, I started really doing this. Started comparing what was in Western press as opposed to what was in RT or uh, TASS or Pravda or whatever. And I was like, how could they even say this? It's, I mean, it's clear Western reporters are on the ground seeing this and you're saying, how can you what and so i started doing it and i started doing a little segment on my show uh fun with russian state media just to, to, to show the difference but it's really not rt because you can look at rt now okay let me back up conservatives in the united states are skeptical about the mainstream media they just are and there's a reason the mainstream media does have have a leftward slant everybody knows it so it's like drinking water that's mm, maybe a little contaminated. Okay. But if your alternative is RT as a consequence, it's like drinking sewage. It, it I mean the parallels it doesn't even parallel. So um but they don't go necessarily to RT. They parrot the, the people that they listen to parrots RT. So the Doug McGregor, the Scott Ritters, the the Duran, um, those kind of characters are people that they're listening to. And then you're hearing this regurgitated RT type propaganda. And so they're listening to that. And then they're set even more against Tucker
0: Carlson oh, yeah, network. Sure. Yeah. Fox network. slightly. I mean, you'll, you'll get quite a lot so of Fox is a mixed bag.
1: It's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. So Fox, you'll hear Laura Ingram be all in on the Trump MAGA kind of thing, but then you'll hear other commentators periodically going the other. I don't think Fox knows where it's going to land here exactly, but it's different than what you would think. It's not completely all in, uh, but it's 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 certainly polluted. And I and I get that. And I watch Fox regularly. I am a conservative. I've I've but man, I can't take Laura Ingram anymore. I mean, it just it, it's painful, right? I mean, just anyway, don't get me started on that. So now, people that are listening to this. Um, it's not the people on the ground. Uh, you did this interview with uh, Andrew Mercado the other day, and he was right that um, it's not like your average... No, there is. There's an isolationist stream that is within the average Republican voter, but there's also average Republican voters like me that are not in that camp, that are in that, that old whatever, but it's really... there's There's multiple levels. There's the RT level, there's the repeater level, and then there's congressmen who are the really crazy loud congressmen right? Like Marjorie Taylor Greene, those kind of people are getting, they, they take up all the oxygen. And so, and then of course you got the situation where they can't make a deal necessarily because you have the Speaker of the House who gets to choose what he's, you know, what he's going to put on the floor. And people are like, well, how is it fair that one person gets to decide that? Because he has the majority will to be voted in. And he's actually safer right now than he was uh, just before. Like, so when you had the previous speaker of the house anybody could remove him now that the majority is thinned even more they're not going to remove him so he's he's safer than he's ever been and but so it's those kinds of conflicts that are really um just making us go what's going what's going on why is this happening but i think your average republican is either in one or two camps old guard republican conservative that you knew before trump Right, the one that as a liberal you want to have argue with argument with, and he wants to have the argument with you, but we still like each other, right? I mean, you can still I I can think you're wrong and still like you, and and right, that's the old kind of something. Then you have the uh, a toxic side. Uh, a so I think on both sides of the extremes of the p- politics, you have the deplatforming on the left, and you have the MAGA. Um, Uh, I have to shout you down on the right. I mean, both of those, I I don't think they can play nice together. Neither side can really do that. And, you know, it's just, but the, the MAGA Republicans, and I actually like the idea of make America great again, but I don't use that term, okay? Because I want America to be great. I want America first, but not America only. That's the difference. I'm not an isolationist. I'm not a populist. okay? So the populists are in a different place than the conservatives, but we look very similar, but we're not. Um, and so as a conservative, I'm like immigration's the big issue. Like look at what happened last night and the polls and who if if immigration, okay, so Republican voters, 41% in the New Hampshire primaries, their chief issue was immigration, okay? and Trump won 70% of that. Nikki Haley won a a a much smaller chunk of that. Yeah, that's that's the way that they think. Immigration's bad, I don't see it that way. I just want them to come through the front door rather than the back door. I wanna get that fixed and then bring them in. Immigration is a good thing, but the populists are looking at that and saying, see, they're taking our jobs. They're doing this. It's, it's right. It's not racism, by the way. It is probably for some, but it's not like that's don't paint us that way, because that's not the way Republicans think about it. Um, and I'm just telling you, like, it, it, there's a divide and the populists who are isolationists are not the same as conservatives. And we're a very split party right now. And it looks like Trump's going to be our standard bearer, but you never know. It's a long way between now and the election. We have till November, a lot can happen. As long as Nikki Haley hangs on, something goes wrong, she's in. So I, I don't know how to describe it. By the way, this time in the last cycle in, you know, uh, um, Biden didn't even place in the New Hampshire primary. He didn't get traction until South Carolina. So it's it's not all over, but it's not looking pretty for
0: Haley. And, of course, there are, we have to know, a lot of court cases, including criminal court cases, um, that are out there. And uh, he has displayed a, an extraordinary ability to wriggle out of trouble like a like a greased pig. Um, but this time, there seems to be just more impetus behind those attempts to apply the rule of law to, to him and hold him to the same standard that, the, you know, average citizens would be perhaps held to. Um, As you let's say see,
1: that. As you say that, I'm thinking this is part of the perspective difference. So your average person on the left side of the spectrum will say it exactly like you said it. The average Republican sees it, and I've seen statistical polling about this, how how they see it as it's it's a, a hit job. It's, it's politically motivated. It's going after him when you didn't go after other politicians in the past for whatever. And it's only increased uh, fervor for Trump. It's reactance. The, the the term is psychological reactance. I actually will be talking about it tonight in class about how that works in my power and influence class. It's just be, when you can't have something. It's the Romeo and Juliet effect, right? If you don't want your your daughter to date this guy, don't say he's a jerk. Invite him over. <laughs> hey, he's he's my favorite now. If you start doing that, she's not gonna like him nearly as much as if she can like fight the power and you know I, I'm an adult, dad. You can't tell me because of your, the way that you're acting towards them. So that's what's happening with Trump from the perspective of the right. It might not actually be what's happening, I'll concede that, but that's how they are seeing it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand that perspective.
0: And it's a failure then, probably on both sides, to apply mm-hmm. values and apply rule of law to their own people when yes, they're they- in office. And that that almost certainly goes back quite mm-hmm. a long way, I would say, it's almost like a an aura of immunity around those who are moneyed, influential and part of the political elite.
1: That's very fair. That's extremely mm-hmm. fair. And if you applied it evenly over time, that's what should have been done. But if you haven't, and it's this the first time it's being applied, ooh, that's what's, that's what's riling up Trump's base more than probably any other thing mm-hmm. that he could do.
0: We can extrapolate this out to an extent, and this is quite unfortunate. We can extrapolate it out to Russian propaganda, which is extraordinarily effective in parts of, I know it's a very broad label, Global South, et cetera. Well, there are many people who who do support Ukraine. There are many uh, politicians who do. But broadly speaking, the West stands for specific values, uh, you know, rule of law, open markets, all sorts of stuff like that. Stuff you know, we, I was talking about on the Maria Report earlier. And we have consistently uh, failed through our history to live up to those standards ourselves and to to systematically, you know, deliver those. They will be done when perhaps it is highly expedient or uh, in our interest to do that. Um, And then we hold them up like sort of shining beacons in other instances. Uh, one could mention Saudi Arabia and the brutal murder of uh, the Washington Post uh, journalist in the Turkish Embassy. Other instances where we have absolutely failed to impose those values. one could even use the case of Iraq and the you know the the um the causes of war, the excuses to go to war there uh, on on false intelligences on um even though there was a the, you know, modicum of legality about it from the legislative point of view. So, of course, Russia has fertile ground to do what you've described Republicans are doing. And they can say, well, you're just hypocrites. You espouse all of this stuff, but you don't live by any of it. Well, that, that of course, is exaggeration. How important do you think it is then, both in the micro-political sense, but also in the macro-geopolitical sense, for us to actually put will behind our values and implement them consistently?
1: So, uh, two things to that. So if you have a standard and you fail to live up to it, but you're trying to live up to it and you've come short, I'm not sure that that's the same thing as just utter hypocrisy if you're trying to get there, right? That doesn't mean that we do it right, but we're trying to live to certain values. I I think um, certainly we have fallen short, and where we've fallen short, we should be condemned. I'm not saying my country right or wrong. But let me give you an example of how russia has capitalized on this russia did this uh, lavrov did this um um goodwill tour across africa last year and he was talking every other speech uh every other paragraph he was talking about how we're we've never been colonialists and we're not colonialists like those bad people in the west and they're they're the colonialists and but no russia has been colonial it's been an empire it just colonizes his next-door neighbors. I mean, that's the way that Russia rolls. They've they've not done that to Africa, and they've enjoyed goodwill with Africa because they were trying to, as Soviet Union, they were trying to prop them up against the West, and yeah, so they use that and and then point to Western hypocrisy, and so they're making some hay out of that, certainly.
0: The, The thing, I mean, what I'm trying more and more in the channel to do is to understand what the common ground is. And especially if Trump gets in, uh, I've been reassured by some who are pro-Ukrainian that that might not be you know, the worst thing. Uh, most of us in Europe happen to think it would be pretty disastrous for Ukraine and for rule of law and for NATO and, and for a whole Rough other things, and I'm basing that on on things that he has said and things that he has done while in office. Um, but we can't know exactly uh, what will happen. Um, how should we tackle this? You know, how should we try to convey to people the importance of Ukraine, not just for surviving in and of itself for its own benefit, but for our own? and convey this idea that there is an existential threat to the values that we hold in common You know, in the US and the UK um, around rule of law, uh, democracy, uh, and certain freedoms.
1: That's a, that is a fantastic question. Um, so Trump looks like he's the uh, likely winner. I don't know that he will necessarily be because there are a lot of obstacles. And again, it's a long time before we get there. But um, Trump's an interesting character in the sense that he, he can shapeshift into different forms depending on who's around him and what his advisors say. I don't think he has any particular love for Ukraine. Uh, I think he would probably not be good for Ukraine, That that's my read of him, and I'll be voting for Nikki Haley in the primary. By the way, I know that many of your viewers are not American, and so I have to explain, because they, they always say these things in my, in my comments, like, I don't understand your absurd two-party system, right? The action is in the primary in the primaries where you actually have a voice. What happens in the general because of my state, it doesn't matter. I could vote for Mickey Mouse and it doesn't have any, like my state will vote for the Republican regardless. Other states will vote for the Democrat regardless in the general election. So my actual chance to have an effect is in the primary, which is coming up pretty soon. Um, So that's, that's what's going to happen on the ground there. And uh, Trump is just, he, He's not going to be healthy for them, but I don't know how much of a disaster he will be because he can turn on a dime and go a different direction. I hope that that's not the case. I would like to see Haley, who has full throatedly supported Ukraine all this time, but we just don't know. Now, if I was Putin, I would be very happy about what I'm seeing about Trump gaining momentum. I'd be very happy knowing, well, I got about a year to, to hold out. And if I can hold out, then maybe some kind of deal can be struck and we can hang on to these four oblasts that we just gobbled up and, and that sort of thing. And I think Putin is really counting on that sort of thing. So some support from Congress now would be um, very welcome to Ukrainians who are going to have to start thinking about uh, how to move forward. In the meantime, Europe has stepped up in a big way. Like, look at what Germany has done stepping up. Look at what the UK has done stepping up. France was just getting on that bandwagon. And honestly, this is your backyard. It's not just ours. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved. The price of leadership is that you have to actually be involved in a situation like this. I'm not a globalist. That's not how I roll, right? But I am sensible enough to know that we can't put our heads in the sand and just check out. We, we just can't. That's not the way the world works anymore. But you know, Europe's stepping up. And as they do more and more, I think they're getting a sense, I I think if nothing else, I'm not saying this is a good thing that it happened this way, but because of the impasse in Congress and all that, I think the Europeans really started saying, we got to take this a lot more seriously and get this. By the way, there's a a really interesting nuance here that you need to understand as well. And the audience needs to understand. You're going to think I'm crazy when I say this. But Republicans, generally speaking, think that if Trump was in power from 26, uh, from 2020 forward, Ukraine never would have happened. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, that's the way that they think. It might be bizarre. It might not be reality. We we can't ever know. But they think that because no think about Trump's ego, Trump's, are you going to really be the guy that's going to let Putin do this on, on your watch, th- that he's going to take over a democratic state? Oh, maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. Um, There's even some thinking that Trump would not allow, like if he came back into power, he's not going to allow this to happen. I think that's a very small, minimal kind of argument, but the, the, if he was pre-existingly there, it never would have happened. Biden showing weakness as they're leaving Afghanistan. And I know that's only looking half the picture. Right? Trump was the one that was creating the design to leave Afghanistan, but the way that it, the optics of it, when they left with the people falling off the plane and that sort of thing, it was terrible, yeah. right? And of course, you
0: compare that to the uh, abandonment of the Kurds, barely caused a ripple. But that was on his tenure, absolutely stabbed in the back and betrayed. Uh, but but that didn't rebound because as you say he fills the media he he takes the oxygen out of the room with with all the chaos of of multiple narratives and what the hell is he going to do next it's quite an effective strategy to, to to deflect and distract
1: it is but more than that the people that support trump really support trump i mean the intensity level to the degree that the way they support trump like it so it used to be in the united states uh, somewhat like uh, Tories or the conservatives, is that right? Tories and labor, It's it used to be something like that where the Republicans were like uh, b- more involved and in, interested in business and the economy and things along those lines. And the Democrats were the ones sticking up for the little guy. Over the last 10 years, there was a big shift and the big shift was identity politics. And the identity politics was the Democrats are now looking at, are you female? Are you this, that, or the other thing? Like, what is your minority status so that we can support you? And the little guy who they used to support was the factory worker in Ohio whose job left, who now feels abandoned. And Trump filled that void saying, I'm here for you. And the people that love him, love him. It's, it's, I mean, it's hard to shake. And um, I mean, I think that's a big, portion of the background of why they're so in his corner.
0: And that's that's going to be the real challenge, isn't it? And um, this is also the interesting area of debate. And this is where I think the Russians were rather clever. They managed to donut him. They managed to surround him with people who were clearly tainted and influenced. And that therefore in the liberal media created the idea that uh, Trump is 100% a Kremlin asset because he is surrounded by and he has appointed people who are clearly got compromise on them. I mean, there's there's plenty of evidence there. I mean, you don't have to go very oh. far to make it up. Manafort, et cetera. Let's, but, let's get
1: into that. You're right about yeah. Manafort being, you know, how, yeah.
0: how, how he was. Um, but it's, but a, get, it's, it's a question of interpretation, isn't it? I mean, that's the, that's the impression the Kremlin probably wanted to create because it's a great way of weaponizing the media. Um, but their penetration of his circle might be far less in reality. But if they can create the illusion that he's totally compromised, that's that's a win.
1: Yeah, so the way that that works out, in, so anytime you see Republicans think this at 80% to 20, and Democrats see this as 20% to 80, anytime you see that kind of shift, it's not the thing, it's the perspective, right? And it's it's that kind of thing. So if you go back before Trump, the Republicans were the ones that thought that Russia, Russians are the bad guys that we need to be careful and watch. And then you get to Trump and you see the what Republicans call Russia Gate, or uh, the Mueller report or those kind of, however you de- describe that, what you were just talking about, Democrats see it one way, Republicans see it another way. Republicans see it as a way that they were trying to undermine the president and keep him from being useful or successful or whatever. Democrats see it as this is true, that this is what has happened, the comprom- uh, compromise and all these other things. And so... Republicans softened toward Russia in a I mean, statistical go back and look at polling in a statistical way significantly while uh, Democrats were amping up against Russia. And I think that's part of what's why so many Democrats are uh, in favor of Ukraine or supporting Ukraine is because they've seen for the last Five years before that, or you know, however long before that, they saw this and thought, Russia, bad, Russia, bad. Look what they're doing with Trump. And so there's more political at play. And we just have to try to see from all these different angles to see what is truth and triangulate on it, rather than just be in our own little corner thinking, I'm right because I'm in my corner and I've I'm always been right. <laughs> we can't do that.
0: This is, and it, it's, you know, there's there's similarly, I mean, in the UK, we don't have that same, you know, Ukraine is not a party political or partisan issue in the UK. So we don't have that, but we did have Brexit and Brexit quite clearly was in the interests of Russia. But mm-hmm. the debate doesn't center on how beneficial is it to Russia? The debate is all, did Russia do it or not? Did they tip it over the edge? Are these individuals behind their campaign compromised? Are they not? And then, you know, people get aggrieved because they have genuine organic reasons why they voted for it. They have genuine personal local right. reasons. Um, and you're saying that, you know, that opinion is no longer valid because it's tainted. And of course, it's in the interests of Russia to make the taint appear perhaps far greater than the influence they have in the real world. Um, uh, the is you know, also being part of a vote relatively secretive democracy, you know, whatever deep evidence there might be, the British establishment um, does have a tradition of, of hiding everything, keeping everything quiet. You know, whether it's bad or good, whether it benefits them or not, there is a certain culture of secrecy there. So we might not actually know the answers for many, many decades, if ever. Um, and uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, that become polarized fortunately on ukraine we 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 are not and i think the british have a, a fairly uh, a fairly strong consensus that you know, the russians are the bad guys and they're doing bad things and you know, that provides a certain level of immunity to the the sort of bs that uh, russian uh, narratives try to spin that i think is my approach is not so much to look at the sort of the individual politicians but to almost take their statements write them down so you're not influenced by you know tone of voice accent background Mm -hmm. you just look at the raw words on the page and then you kind of parse them and you say okay well is that similar to this where does this come from um it's it's kind of difficult with trump because when you write all the words down on a page it's it's a bit like a scrabble board it's just been kind of you know tipped out um But it's it, it's a kind of useful process to to look at the constituent narratives.
1: Yeah. If we could look at things behind a veil, uh, a Rawlsian veil of ignorance, mm-hmm. right? and We would see that we agree on a lot more than we disagree about. But because mm. the political has gotten involved, and I'll give you another example of the political, right? Um, so I wonder, this is just a thought experiment. We can't actually prove this. But I wonder if Trump was president, not that it wouldn't have happened but if it had happened while trump was president would republicans be the ones all in on supporting ukraine and the democrats be the ones that are the doves and traditionally the democrats were the doves and the republicans were the hawks uh so i i wonder about that it's it's almost like what happened with COVID. and here's here's the you know the the flipping so trump's in office COVID hits he's we're getting this drug through the FDA in lightning speed, and Republicans are all like, "Yeah, you know, get it through the FDA at lightning speed, tear down that red tape," and then Biden comes and 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 the and the Democrats at that time are saying, "Well, I'm not going to ever trust that kind of medication. I'm never doing that, right?" Biden comes to office and Republicans are like, I'm not taking a vaccine. And the Democrats are like, I got my third shot. See how awesome I am that I care about the rest of you. Cause I got my right. So it's a weird thing to see like your political position shouldn't change reality, but it does because we're not, just not taking perspective. And again, that, that's what I spend, not about the Republican Democrat politics, but what I spend my time on on my channel is more about perspective than anything else. Here's what's happening. Now, what does this mean? Here's what the Russians said about this. What does that mean? What are they trying to project? And if you just are trying to take perspective and understand it, it goes a long way to making sense of what's actually going on.
0: I think that's a great place. I mean, I was trying to recommend people check out your videos. Like myself, you are prolific and um, you've rapidly grown your channel. You've got it's really good material in there, and I like that kind of analytical approach that tries to, you know, divorce it from the political perspective. But I also think it helps the fact that you know you are coming from the conservative side. Um, it gives some chance for your message to cut through and get people to think. Whereas if you're coming and doing exactly the same material, and people thought you were on the other end of the political spectrum, they might be far less receptive to it. And it's a, it's very powerful to, 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 to be able to find this commonality from both, both sides, as it were. Yeah. Um, I know I'd love to get you back on the channel and dig into this because this is almost like an endless mine of interesting stuff. But uh, I know you have to sort of dash off. So this is brilliant, and. Uh, I think we can agree that, that 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 what happens next is inherently unpredictable, and yeah. uh, for good or bad, let's uh, see if we can have a little bit of interest, you know, influence, and, and nudge it towards something that uh, can benefit Ukraine.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for your time, Jonathan. I really appreciate it, and uh, I, I hope this helps people like think about it. One of the things that I tell people in my videos all the time is like, don't just listen to the people you would normally listen to. Triangulate. If you're a conservative, listen to some some liberal biased mainstream media. If you're a liberal, listen to what the conservatives are saying to try to understand how this is actually playing out. And somewhere in the middle, you'll find some approximation of truth. I'm not saying the truth is in the middle, but you'll, you'll build at least some, some dendrites, some scaffolding in your head to understand how to see things more effectively.
0: I think that's fantastic. Darren, thanks so much. I look forward to the next time and I very much look forward to, uh, jumping back on on your channel as well.
1: Absolutely. I'll be happy to have you.